And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to a comeback edition of the Warriors All-82 podcast. Marcus Thompson was in the building tonight, one of probably, I don't know, 150, 200 people in the building uh, to witness, I don't I mean, I'm not going to say the house. Yeah, someone, right? Um, I don't want to say the comeback of the season so far in the NBA, but I think it might be because the story of the early NBA season is teams get up big in blowouts and then they just keep blowing the team out and there's just been like an absurd level of like 30 40 point blowouts uh the Warriors got down 22 to a good Clippers team and down late in the third quarter by 22 and then they won by 10 so 32 point swing that was kind of a stunner and the the stunning part was like how they got there It, it seemed like at some point Steve Kerr just decided like you know what uh, let's try to win this game. You know, Steph got hot, and he was rolling pretty much, but he started getting some shots, and I think that second unit really got going. Like, it was, it was, like, it's weird to see him just go all in like that. Start putting, it was like Steph, Boulder. On game Lee, nine. Pascal, like. Game nine was, of the season, too. Yeah, uh, it was weird. I think the main thing is it was so glaringly obvious that he should do it. You know what I mean? This wasn't a normal, like, eh, the starters aren't playing that great and the bench is playing a little bit better. It was like, no, the starters were minus 20 in the game that they won by 10, which tells you how bad they were. And we'll get to Oubre. And then, you know, the Wiseman question, it's, I mean, it's it's pretty simple. They're just going to pick nights to close with them and they're going to pick nights where it's plainly obviously they shouldn't and they won't. Um, and tonight, it, look, he just you've mentioned it, the, the Clippers matchup isn't good for Wiseman early in his career. He's got to just think so much. It's such a veteran team. Ibaka's, you know, battering him around. It's clear they have like 25 lessons going through his head, and he just didn't play well. Um, so I think it was pretty obvious they were going to close without a center tonight. Uh, and then the Ubre thing, I mean, he's so deeply in his head and in this slump that it was obviously had to go elsewhere. And it was interesting, the elsewhere they went, uh, was Brad Wanamaker closed and guarded Paul George well and hit two big threes. Um, and then Draymond at the five, which we haven't seen really since uh, back in the dynasty days. It felt like Draymond, Draymond kind of got uh, reinvigorated with, when they put him at the five. He, he wasn't playing well either. He wasn't really rebounding, and he wasn't really playing great defense. And, you know, with, the, with his lack of really like offensive punch, then he's not really doing nothing at that point. So he was just kind of having a listless game. But then they put him at five, and it was like, it was lit. I I, I think Wiseman, this whole idea that Wiseman just has to play, like, I ain't really buying it. Like, part of 
the learning is sit your butt down when you don't play well, right? That's part of it. You don't you don't have to play through all the mistakes. Like Kelly Oubre is a veteran, and he got sat down too. Like that's part of it. So yeah, Clippers a bad matchup. He wasn't he wasn't producing on the court. He clearly was a bit overwhelmed. He should have sat down, and, and Kerr finally did it. He did it with Wiseman and Oubre, and I actually think it sent the message. It sent the message to Steph. It sent the message to Damian Lee and Michael Boulder. Like, it, it, it just sent the message to the whole team that at some point, like, winning the game was more important than anything else. I, I kind of think they needed that at that point. So, yeah, this, this game was wild all the way around. Steve was just doing stuff. And he's been sticking to his horses pretty tough, even tonight after the game. He's like, yeah, I don't see a change in the starting lineup, right? He's still, like, still early. But he was coaching like it wasn't early. That that was the trip part for me. Well, the interesting thing is, like, they need Oubre. I mean, say what you want about him and that his, his does not really fitting the starting lineup, the, the way the floor is crunched around him. He's not finding open guys passing. He's getting in Steph's way. He's doing odd things defensively at times. Uh, he's stepping out of bounds. I know Warriors fans, and, you, and even you are calling it the Mikel Petrus, right? Um, I mean, I think he's on a streak of doing that, like three or four games in a row. Um, but for them to be a threat, and he can't pass in the post at all. Yeah, no, no, no. But for them to be a threat this season, Kelly Oubre needs to play like the Phoenix Suns version of Kelly Oubre, which was a a solid rotation player on a decent team. You know, he isn't that right now. He's now six of 45 from three this season. He, he missed all nine against the Clippers over two games. If you take out that four of six he had against the Kings, he's two of 39 from three. So you, Steve Kerr is saying what he said post game that he doesn't anticipate a starting lineup change. Ubre's proven he'll get going. Because it's clear, this is not a physical thing with Kelly Oubre right now. It's a mental thing. Um, you know, he's in his head. And I uh, I think we could have a good discussion about if he makes sense more on this team as a sixth man. And I think Kerr might eventually come to that decision. But I think if he benched Oubre right now, it, it really might spiral out of control. I don't know where you're at on it. I mean, isn't he kind of already spiraled? Like, <laughs> he's like working this? You know, and who's to say... Him coming off the bench won't help him. Yeah, true. Some of the pressure off, like I, I don't think I don't think he would necessarily kill him, but also think mentally, like he's in his head right now. So uh, at some point, and I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna go with Kerr's take on this, right? Like he's got a better feel for his team, so if he feel like it's not time, then it's not time. But at some point, like the the benefiting the rest of the team. Is gonna have to be more important than Uber getting it together. Like, and right now, Uber trying to get it together. Like, the rest of the team is having to accommodate that. You know, like we saw Steph like trying to beg him to get out of the corner. Like, it's it's creating these other issues where it's like, all right, we want to get Uber going. We got to keep him start. You know, we got to start him. We got to keep showing faith in him. But at some point, it's like, all right. Let's, how about free up Steph some more? How about get Damian Lee some bigger minutes? Like, you know, uh, at some point it feels like he's going to have to make that choice. True, but but, but can, can I counter a little? Balls, we won't be talking about none of this, right? If he has a stretch of five or six games where he plays well, we'll be like, okay, there he goes. And everything will be back and Steve will be right. Yeah, well, also 
the an NBA rotation is a very delicate balance, right? The Warriors lucked into a good second unit suddenly, a good second unit mix when Marquise Chris got hurt, which I don't think is necessarily good for the team, but that made them go, well, let's try Eric Pascal at small ball center. And he's erupted on the homestand. He just is killing these backup bigs who are slow-footed. I mean, Ennis Cantor, even the Kings bigs, and then Zubach, who I said in my post-game article, I think Ivica Zubach might be the best backup center in basketball. You know, that might be like the toughest of backup bigs that Pascal will face. And he bullied through him for three layups and then got two threes and basically played Zubac off the floor tonight. And they found something in that second unit and an identity. And yes, bumping Kelly Oubre from the starting lineup might help a starting lineup that needs it. But then suddenly Kelly Oubre's in that second unit like, all right, I need to find myself. I need to get going here. And then they're like, uh... Hey, you think he'll take the second unit too? <laughs> well, I mean, are you saying like pull him from the rotation? Then you're really going to lose him. And I mean... No, look, I don't he tanked the second unit. I mean, I think he still got. I mean, I see what you're saying. It's like he would see that second unit as his and try to do too much, and it could be a problem. It could kill that chemistry. But I, I don't even think they play a very structured setup. I think that's why it's kind of like you know good for him. It's no, like, man, just go out there and play. But I see what you're saying. I just don't know. If, I don't think. I don't. Yeah. I mean, look. I'm gonna go with Steve. If Steve's saying we get, we need more time. Steve knows more than me. About Steph seemed to be saying it too. I asked him about a post game. He's like, "Why are you being so negative?" Yeah, I was that like, was Ooh. Funny. And then you responded with, "Bruh, y'all minus y'all." Yeah, minus I said minus twenty. <laughs> what? Well, I don't. I mean, minus twenty in thirteen minutes. What am I supposed to say after that? Uh, I mean, you know, I guess he doesn't want those questions after they they actually win the game. And he scored thirty eight. Do you want to talk a little bit about Steph? I mean, I think you're writing about him, but um, I believe he leads the NBA in points right now. And made threes. He made nine threes tonight. Um, the numbers, you know, through this thorny start, he might have the best numbers in basketball right now. Although Bradley Beal might have an argument while taking losses. I think Steph, as much as anybody else, from what I can tell, has benefited from the like the baseball scheduling. Like he seems to use that second game to figure stuff out. And part of it is because that first game, he's seeing these, like, such weird defenses, you know. But, like, we saw it against Portland, right? They run this – they put Derrick uh, Jones on him and full court. And he's got to figure that out. Second game, he dropped 62. You know, the again, the first game against the Clippers, he's having a hard time. He's got Patrick Beverly. He's got Serge Ibaka. He's got – YPG, and they've got this kind of really well-orchestrated scheme against them. He struggles. Second game, he figures out a way to get free. It seems like the ability to play against a team, watch the film, play against them again is like right up his alley for, you know, trying to uh, put together, you know, two good, put together like a, a response. Like, you know, Seth don't really play too many back-to-back bad games anyway, but like in this setting, he can really respond. And I think he's benefited from that. Like tonight he was going a little bit from the beginning, but he wasn't getting shots. It was weird. Like he was three for four. Normally three for four from three from Steph means you take it 15 threes. Well, Uber had to get some up, my man. You know, they're going to have to try to get Uber going. <laughs> it's funny with the jab at Kelly. I'm not trying to jab Kelly. Um, but I mean, the numbers are just ugly. Uh, no, but ha- are you writing specifically about that uh, left-handed pass? Yeah, I just yeah, I'm writing about 
that that crazy play where like I mean the pass is ridiculous, and we know Steph likes to like he loves the left hand pass, he loves long passes, he's really good at them. Uh, he's kind of cut out some of those wild left-handed off-the-dribble passes in short areas, right, like the predictable ones, but he still loves those long ones. And that was just a weird point in the game. He he shouldn't have been in the game, first off, right? He was only in the game because they wanted to give him an extra minute, an extra shot. He was feeling it. Kerr was like, let's start him in the fourth quarter, see if he can hit a, hit a three real quick to keep getting a start in the fourth quarter, and then he would come out. He missed that three, but he was still in the game. So I just thought it was an interesting choice. Like, he got the big man on him. You normally drive by the big man. He was weaving out, you know, working his way to the rack for the crazy layups or coming around a couple screens. And this time he chose to throw the craziest cross-court pass to Damian Lee, which, A, Damian Lee is in the game, so he's got another shooter spread the floor. And, B, it just shows, like, Steph figuring out what he needs to do. I thought it was like one of the moments where we're watching a guy with these, you know, with this new team and this weird situation, like kind of process it all and figure it out. Like that's, this is like Steph being cerebral. So yeah, I'm, I'm right about that pass. Cause to me, that was the coolest player tonight. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Lee and the shooters. Uh, I mean, just go back to, you know, opening night was only a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago. And, um, Damian Lee was barely in the rotation. Michael Mulder was a DMP. Um, Bazemore pretty soon after was getting DMPs, and now suddenly like those guys continue to get more minutes. There, you know, a few of them are in the closing lineup tonight. Mold, you know, I think Mulder and Lee are both over fifty percent from three so far this season, and it's just a coaching staff that I think is discovering that you know spacing in some ways is more important than defense in the modern NBA. Uh, and- yeah, that, that's. It's a trip, too. Like, I mean, how often do you find yourself criticizing a coach for putting defense first, right? But yeah. it just feels weird to sacrifice spacing and shooting so you can have better defenders, especially when these nobody's guarding anybody, right? Like, you're not stopping anybody. But I just think, like, Damian Lee can do a little bit more on defense than he kind of gets credit for. Uh, and, you know, obviously they need to guard, like, second-unit players, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, but, I mean, he closed yeah. tonight. He closed tonight. That's yeah, not second-unit. He, he did. Well, what's funny is then they throw Wanamaker out there, who's their pack of point guard. but And he locks up PG. He's, he's on Paul George. I mean, that that is the the uh, thought of Wanamaker when they signed him this summer. And they gave him a little in the mid-level. was like, he can play with Steph and without Steph. He should be able to hit an open three. And he can guard wings if you need him to. And we really hadn't seen that. He hadn't shot it well. Um, but tonight he has two fourth quarter threes and guards Paul George down the stretch. <laughs> like, I don't know. Weird. The, the worst part about the Wanamaker uh, breakout game, the worst part about the Brad Wanamaker breakout game. Arrival. Twitter, Arrival. Twitter was... Flush with all these, it's a Wanamaker Miss Lee. And oh, his Brad, he's not Brad Wanamister. Like, ah, oh, we got to get all these Wanamaker, Brad Moneymaker. It's like, please, let's get these all out the way right now. Hey, this, this, is, this was a day for suspending Twitter accounts, and some of those can, can go along with the way of the Twitter suspension. <laughs> right, uh, 
I was just like, oh, come on, y'all. Y'all about to do this? I mean, I feel it. And somebody, I saw somebody say, man, you've been waiting nine games to say that, huh? But it's like, all right, let's get the Wanamaker puns out the way. His three-pointer is uh, weird. It's like stand still. Um, it's, it's like a push shot, too. Yeah. Like, he only shoots a little bit like Barbosa. Yeah. It's interesting. Curse it after the game, though. He's like, we've been encouraging him to shoot it. He's one of our best like, shooters. One of our better shooters. What was that? Yeah, I was like, okay. Maybe in practice the guy's been just striping it. I don't know. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, it also tells you about their personnel. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Anything else tonight? Overall, I mean, they're five Andrew and four Wiggins, now. Baby. Andrew Wiggins. Yes, yes, you're right. He's, he's, he's been great. He, he, he was great. Uh, he, he was excellent defensively and, like, in a quiet way, right? Like, Ubre does the flashy stuff. Like, he'll strip a dude or he'll pick a pocket or, you know. Hey, I got, a, like, I got a question for you. Remember remember uh, before the season when we were having a discussion on Warriors Plus Minus about who's better, Ubre or Wiggins? I think we can put that discussion to rest. Yeah, that's done. That's done. When was Andrew Wiggins' last bad game? The second game of the season? Yeah, I think so. I think we're talking about a guy who's played uh, seven consecutive. Did you say that first Portland game? Maybe. I would have. Yeah, he definitely wasn't like. You know. It was more just like an absent game. Yeah. Like he was like, it was like, is he on the court? But the, first, the bad game, like the first two games of the season, man, he's. I, I've been really impressed. Wiggins' ability to just play defense, uh, make the passes, let Steph do his thing, and then come out of nowhere and hit the big shot. Yeah, he hit it's the like, dagger in it. Yeah, and remember he did it before too. Uh, what was it? The was it the Portland game? He had some big shots in the Portland Detroit. Game. Detroit. He had seventeen Detroit in the too, fourth. Yeah, it was just he like, had seventeen in the fourth. He, he from what I had seen of Wiggins, he was always a dude who needed a bunch of shots. And he would get rolling, then he would kill you. But he's not even doing that. Like, you get two or three here, two or three there. Steph's cooking. He's sitting. He comes back in. And now it's time for a big shot. And he's making them things. Which is, like, it's pretty impressive, like, how he's been able to put it together. He's obviously not, he's not playing perfect by any means. But he's playing really well. And... He's playing really well at a time that's maximizing or not wasting some of Steph's big games. Because think about it. If you don't have Wiggins in these Steph big games, these are like Bradley Bill games. Yeah. The, if you don't have Andrew Wiggins, they're probably 3-6 and six or 2-7 and seven right now. Yeah, yeah. Instead, they're 5-4. and four. See, like tonight, they ran the, the Wiggins. Had you seen that before? The Curry-Wiggins pick and roll? No. That was weird. Well, you got to remember they, they didn't play together last year. So. Yeah, that's right. They, they, they didn't play together at all, huh? Uh, yeah, they didn't because the one game Steph returned for, Wiggins missed. And then the season shut down. So, so they, Steph set the screen for Wiggins and popped out. And it ended up putting him on Paul George. And he just, like, rose up over Paul George, like, you know, and hit less a big three. It was a huge three at the time. But it was weird because Steph was rolling, and it's like Wiggins was like, yo, it was your time. But, you know, you, if you watch Steph, he was, like, fist pumping and celebrating it. It's just like shots like that or shots Clay hit. You know what I'm saying? Like, that. if, if you don't have Wiggins, like, just being productive offensively, especially while Oubre's struggling, like, man, you don't. 
these are losses. Like Steph is having these big games and he's by himself. Like like Wiggins has been good, but and you know I know Minnesota, I know what y'all gonna say, Timberwolves fans who listening. Just wait, just watch. But <laughs> so far he's been he's been he's been exactly what the Warriors could ask for. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, coming up, they're going ending this homestand with Raptors Pacers. And the Raptors have actually been terrible this Raptors year. Bad. Yeah, yeah. It's they win that game tonight. Um, I can look right I now. I think they rallied tonight, though. Yeah, they might have. Pacers have actually had a good start to the season, so that that's a tougher game than people probably realize. And then they go on the road for Denver Phoenix Lakers, which you know, that's a, these are five tough games coming up. They're five and four. I would say if they're coming out of it near five hundred, you know, we're either talking. I don't know, eight and seven range, um, seven and eight range. I think they're fine. They're stabilizing. I mean, I think the one thing coming out of this homestand is like this is a playoff team, and if this team doesn't make the playoffs, it's either due to injury or it would be an extreme disappointment. Like this should be, I say, top ten team in the West because that's all you need now to at least get in the play-in, but this should be a top eight team in the West. Yeah, they'll need some things to work out. I don't know how long they can just go with Uber and being this guy. Like you said, they do need Uber. Uh, but they're like, winning they while they're figuring stuff out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that's the key part. Look, if I don't think anybody was banking on them splitting four games with Portland and the Clippers, right? Like when we was looking at his homestand, <laughs> we were like, "Yo, you, or what was it? They they beat." Chicago or whatever, and it was like, all right, well, this next seven games, like they gotta win, beat Detroit, and get one of these Clippers Portland games, and they ended up uh, winning, splitting the series with these two. So, uh, like they've shown, they're better than the bad teams. They're probably better than most mediocre teams. They could lose to them, but they could also beat them, and they could hang some nights with the good teams. Which is like a seven seed. Like I said, that's literally what a seven seed does, right? Like they, they should be a playoff team. And the presumption is, as you know, this is what Steve Kerr been telling us, right? Give them to March, then they'll be a well oiled machine and they should be even better than that. But right now they look like a, a six or seven seed, maybe eight seed, uh, at worst case scenario, like they're a, a play in game. Like that's that's what they look like, and the question is, can they get better over time? And will they be in two months? Will they be better than they are right now? Steve Kerr is saying they will be. Well, a lot of that's uh, Wiseman, right? Like Wiseman's going Wiseman. from like he's showing flashes now, but still isn't really mostly a winning player against winning teams. Three months from now, can those flashes be surrounded by like smarter, better play? So suddenly you can utilize the potential of him while not getting killed on some nights by him. To me, like that's where their that's where their ceiling is. It's him. Well also now it's like Ubre becoming like the regular player he will like just his baseline for who he is as an NBA player. And also like Draymond like getting up to speed and in rhythm and kind of finding his groove again. So like the main one is Wyans like I'm so the main one is Wiseman. Like that's the that's the one that could turn them into something. But also, they're looking for Uber getting going, Draymond getting in, you know, tip top conditioning and getting his rhythm back. Now, that's to me when they'll be like at full capacity and you can see what they're working with. 
Uh, the question is, do you think they'll do anything roster-wise before that happens, or do they just wait to see wait to see if that happens? I think they wait, because their problem right now roster-wise is their most flexible piece is Michael Mulder on a non-guarantee, but you don't want to cut him, obviously. He's in your rotation right now. I mean, the smile of each question, we certainly can wait till Warriors Plus Minus to have that discussion. Um, and then, you know, the Clay Marquise Chris injuries give you know they they've just got a lot of dead weight at the end of the roster right now, um, and they don't necessarily need it because the th- the thought was they're going to need another big and rebounding has been a problem, but their big answer might be going small a bunch. I mean they just beat the L A Clippers going small the entire fourth quarter like not this zero seconds from a center in that fourth. So um, I I think I think they are going to give this roster. More extended look before they decide on that. One last thing, shout out to Fred Cass, my OG, the homie, the Warriors scorekeeper. Ended a 58 year career as a scorekeeper, one of the nicest guys. I wrote about him when I was at the Mercury News, but he uh, he, play, he he did his last game tonight, so we got to shout out Fred Cass. I just thought he was on Sports Center. He got a little Sports Center segment. They showed him uh, with the team surrounding, like hitting a layup. They brought him out after the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. They brought him out. He was shooting. It took him a few tries, but you know he's a he's an OG. So uh, they they were patient with him, and he finally made one. So he he got to walk off on a bucket, which is like if you into hoop, you got to walk off on the bucket. Got to. Well, that's a bucket. Let's walk off. Good night. Maybe talk. Sunday after the game. I don't know. We'll see. But five and four Warriors. Talk to you later, Marcus. All right. Peace. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.